My Italian grandfather gave me a shirt that I loved years ago. And on the shirt, there were three quotes of great thinkers who were trying to make sense of what it means to be human in this wide world that we live in. The first quote said, to be is to do, that's Socrates. Second, to do is to be, that's Jean Paul Sartre. And the last and the most profound is do be do be do, Frank Sinatra. Rene Descartes, another great thinker, continues this search of making sense in the world, and he says, I think, therefore I am. Another guy, Spinoza, could basically, you could say, he says, I feel, therefore I am. And you can see humanity, we're just clawing to make sense of this experience, to justify our existence. We're trying to figure out who we are and our place in this world. And then this other guy comes along named Heidegger, and his thinking could be summed up as, I dwell, therefore I am. What he's saying is we are thrown into this wide world, wandering around, and we're ultimately seeking a home. And he called nostalgia, you know what nostalgia is? He called it this unrequited longing for home. And what I think he means is, Don't find home. Don't try to find home in distant memories, thinking those were the good old days. He's saying, find home now. Be present right here. And what I'd like to propose to you today is that Heidegger is dead wrong. He didn't, here was his problem. He didn't look back far enough. There is, God has deposited something in you, a nostalgia, but it's a spiritual nostalgia. It's a distant memory of Eden, written into your heart by God. But not only is Eden this distant spiritual memory that God has put into your heart, but also in the distance, in the future. Don't just look to the past. Look forward to the future that is to come, and what you will find is that one day your feet will be in the city of God, and your steps will have led you into your eternal dwelling, and you will finally be home. And I'm telling you, if you do not come to terms with this present world not being your home, it's going to drive you mad. And you're going to have a life filled with unmet desires. Today, we're going to do something. We're going to start a new series called Tell Your Story. And we're going to do something a little different than usual. You should have got some papers when you walked in. And so over the next four weeks, I'm going to challenge you with some homework. You're going to write four memoirs in just a month, no big deal. Now, I don't know if you know what a memoir is. So a, a bio, an autobiography of your life, it's like the full life story. But a memoir 
is like your story of your life through a specific lens. And so I'm a pastor with four children, and so I could write a memoir about what it's like to be a pastor with four children. Here's my story of what that's like. And what we're going to do in Psalm 107 is essentially the way it's laid out is there are four memoirs that you can write of the story of God rescuing you. There's four different lenses. It's not your story is this one or this one or this one. Four stories, all yours, and it's the story of God and you. And the title of your memoir today is A Love That Brought Me Home. And to tell this story, you have to find it. You have to be swept up into this adventure. And Psalm 107 is going to help you find your story, but it's also going to help you tell it. And I want to tell you something. If you're not a Christian, you can still write this story and write this memoir. You just look down. You write it through. And you look down at what's written. And then the question simply becomes, will you take a step into it? Psalm 107. We're going to read verses 1 through 9 and then verse 43. And I just want to tell you, this 1 through 3, this is like the introduction page. The last, verse 43, this is the conclusion of your story. And this middle part, verses 4 through 9, that's your memoir today. Now, it's not in your paper. And look, I don't want you to get like all worked up about this paper and get stressed out about it. Like, you really don't have anything to, like, anything, like, you could write on the person's back in front of you, but they might be upset about that. Just take this home with you, and there is a link on our website if you want to download this little thing that is there. All right, moving on. Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Here's the memoir today. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things and let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Chapter one of your story, your peril, wandering. And before I start you out on this adventure, I need to call your attention to verse 2. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The NIV translates it as, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. So it's setting you up. Here is your memoir. Here's the story of your life with God. And then if you jump to verse 4, it starts with the word some. Some wandered. And the word some is our clue of the start of each memoir. So if you jump to verse 10, you're going to see that it says some. And then verse 17, and then on until we have reached four memoirs. Now, the word some, it's not in the Hebrew. And what the translators are doing is they're giving you a clue. 
and, and probably a better way to, to read this, given our little play on this memoir thing, is your first memoir begins like this. You start in the perils of a desert wasteland, wandering. Wandering doesn't mean meandering here. It means there are no tracks out. It's a trackless abyss. You are imprisoned in this desert, chained in, unable to escape. And you're chained into a life of hunger and a life of thirst. And it says your soul is fainting within you. Now, the question becomes, what does all this poetic language actually mean? And the answer is, it's giving you a picture of your soul. It's telling you what your soul feels in this world. And the description goes like this. Your soul looks like this. It's a, it's a picture of a man whose skin is sticking to his bones. His face is covered with the desert dust. And his tongue is stuck to the roof of his mouth because he's dying of thirst. And the, skin, the sun burns his skin by the day and at night his body shakes in a cold shiver, and alone, wandering. That is your soul's experience in this world, and you probably don't realize it's that bad because you're, you have taught your soul to sleep through it all because you're in survival mode. God has put eternity in your heart, the desire for eternity, and you've turned it off. I posted a, I posted a video on our Instagram page uh, a few months ago, and essentially it said, humans, our, our problem is not that we desire too much, but we desire too little. We're far too easily pleased. And if we would turn our desires all the way up to 10... We'd run right past all the earthly pleasures in this world and right, run right up to God, our greatest joy and pleasure. And then a troll came along and started commenting. And he said, and I'm going to quote him so you know, he said, stop the nonsense. Stop trying to make Christianity more palatable. People need to give things up. Stop lying to them. And I know what he's getting at, and, and it's really sad for me because what he does not understand is that every single one of us, we become enslaved to something. And the only way that we become free is finding something greater to enslave ourselves to. We're seeking after the joys of heaven. If we'll turn our desires all the way up, then everything else starts to look dull. And I'm just going to quote C.S. Lewis because he says it way better. God finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures falling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like a foolish child who is playing in mud puddles because he can't imagine what it would be like to have a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Christianity cannot be about radical self-denial until you have something to exchange all those things you are indulging in for. Too many Christians are dull. 
They're sleeping through their life because they're keeping their desires so low and if they'll turn them all the way up, will lead you straight to God. How do I know that? Because of your spiritual nostalgia. There is a secret that your soul has and you're keeping it hidden because you aren't really sure what the thing is. And it's a desire that you don't really quite understand, and you can't put a name on it, and so I want to name it for you. It is your desire for home, for Eden. And I honestly think we're a little bit embarrassed about these desires. Like, it seems a little too childlike of us, but Jesus has become like a child if you want to enter the kingdom. Your hopes, your wants, your dreams, your imagination, everything that's like deep in you that you keep shutting down, if you will just let it out, it will lead you go running through every single temptation around you into the greatest joy that you could possibly have. Much of our problem is that we are hardwired for something we have yet to experience. Our soul thirsts for a beauty that we have never known. And so we seek after these beauties in our world. But they're only shadows of the real thing. Like there is an ultimate beauty. Like the perfect, perfected beauty. It's God and his world and his kingdom. And every single thing that you see on this earth that you say, oh, that's beautiful, that you're drawn to, it's just a hint of him, like a little part of him. I'm going to go to Lewis again. He says about these beauties, they are not the thing itself. This is so good. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited, And then he says, do you think I'm trying to weave a spell? Perhaps I am. But remember your fairy tales. Spells are used for breaking enchantments as well as for inducing them. And you and I have need for the strongest spell that can be found to wake us from the evil enchantment of worldliness. Let your soul awaken and you'll know this is not your home. And, but, but also, whenever you're here and you touch a little bit of joy and you find a little bit of peace and a little bit of pleasure, what this is telling you is you've just almost touched eternal things. You've seen a shadow of it, a hint of it, a glimmer, almost like you're peering through this little tiny hole into eternity. That's what it means to come alive. And it's no small thing to touch these things even here and now. If you will realize what they are. Don't try to make this place your home because you'll seek satisfaction here. And all it will do is rob you of life. Steal of you. You've got to look beyond to the world that is to come. If you make this your permanent home, 
or even try to, even take the things and like, okay, this will be the ultimate beauty that I find. And you go there, you will be put under a spell. It will, it, depression will steal you away. Pain will seem never ending. And relational hardships will make you feel like, ah, love. It's like a fairy tale. It's not going to be true for me. I'll prove this is not your home. If you go to Mars and step out of your cool little spaceship, you will live. Only for seconds, but you will live. Momentarily. If you were deposited upon the earth, you would live only temporarily, but maybe 80 years or more. But compared to eternity, it looks just like a breath. So Mars to us now, when we are in Eden, looks like Earth. In other words, it's not your home. You can't really live here. It's killing you. You're made for another place. All right, that was chapter one. We're going to move a lot faster as we go through the rest of the chapters. But I want to encourage you to do something. So don't do this now, but when you go home, like start writing this stuff down and, and do something. Be like honest and courageous as you're writing it. Don't like skirt from the truth. Just like stare the truth right in the face. And deal with reality and then be courageous as you write down what the true story of your life is. And then we will see what do you do next. Chapter 2, cry out to God. Verse 6 says, they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. So all your tears, your thirst, all your desires to do, you know, when you be... You follow your thirst enough, you follow your hunger, you follow your desperations long enough, eventually you do what every human does when they get desperate enough. Cry out to God. The saying is, in war, there are no atheists in foxholes. And I think the reason for that saying is because we have these leftover instincts of Eden. And Well, our gut reaction when we're in trouble is to cry out to God, even if we're mad at him for not existing. And so as you write this memoir, you write down this. I cried out to God in my distress, and something happened. He answered. Chapter 3. God's rescuing love. Verse love goes on and it says, God delivered you in your distress. Now, what compelled him to hear your call and come to you? It says his steadfast love. As quick as a baby, as, as, a, as a mother bird sees her baby fall out of its nest, she goes diving down to get her little baby so quick or quicker. God comes running down to you to get you in your distress. Steadfast love is a love that says, I am coming for you, no matter what stands in between me and you. And it's a love that says, I love you because I love you. And I'm choosing you. And I've made a promise to you. And this promise I plan on keeping, God says. And 
the good news about God is he will not break his promise to you. That's steadfast love. There's an old country song of a son that sings of his father's love for his mother. And it goes like this. I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to say it. Daddy was a wild one when he was younger. Everybody told my mama he'd be hard to tame. Full of himself, said sir to nobody. But you ought to see him come running when mama calls his name. His wife doesn't tame him because that wouldn't be love. But he is wild in love towards his wife. And when she calls, he just goes running. And God, this is feeling a little cheesy, but just go with me. God will not be tamed. And he is wild in the best kind of way. And a, a better word is probably mighty. He commands the moon and the tides to rise and fall, and they listen. When God speaks, the mountains kneel, the sun burns, and the universe turns. And you ought to see him come running when you call his name. And that's your story. Because you're his bride, and when his bride calls out, he comes running. And he delights in you and he quiets you with his love and he rejoices over you with singing as the book of Zephaniah says. And he doesn't just come to you and point out like there's home. He comes and he stands beside you and he grabs you by the arm and he takes you with him. He's leading you home. This is our fourth chapter, God's leading love. Verse 7 says, he led them by a straight way. This is the meaning of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. And in order for him to lead us, he has to be with us. And this reminds me of the story Jesus tells about the one lost sheep. It's of a shepherd who sees that a sheep is lost. And so he takes off running to go find the sheep. And he finds the sheep. And he throws the sheep up over his shoulders and starts bringing the sheep back. Back to the herd, back to the church, you could say. And there, you know, we stop there, but that's not the end of the story. Then he takes the whole herd or the church and leads the church back to its home. And there's a big celebration. This is where you are in the story. And, and by the way, that sheep that's prone to wander... He's watching that sheep the whole time on their way back because he knows that sheep is prone to wander. And he's talking about me. He's talking about you, every one of us. Like we have this special story with God where each and every one of us, it's not like the, who's the one sheep in here that's going to run. It's, it's you. You're the one sheep. And that's where we are in our story. Like this is present day. You aren't home yet, but he's with you. And where the church is, he's most present, or so the Bible will tell you. And he's got his eye on you because he knows you're prone to wander. And look at what he's doing. Along the way, he's feeding your soul. He's quenching your thirst. 
and he protects you on this road of perils. And all perils, they're hidden. And let me tell you something about these perils. It's not that like they're, oh, hey, look at me. I'm a peril out on the road. Beware, watch out. No, they're deep. They're hidden in the forest and they come out in the darkness and grab you and pull you in. Your temptation on your road home is to wander off into some false promises of the world because this secret memory of Eden that's within your soul it's still young. It's still a bit immature. It still doesn't fully know its master. So it keeps falling for lesser masters. And then you give your heart over again to these false loves, this uh, back to drink and sex and dull and ambitions, and you're lured away from the road all over again and you start wandering again back out into the desert and you get imprisoned there. And then though your king, he comes out to free you all over again. The most comforting truth on the road home is that God is with you. He comes running when you call his name and he finds you there and you say, God, I did it again, I'm sorry. And he smiles and says, I know, I was watching you. I had a keen eye on you and I saw you, so I came to get you again. He is patient with his love. And he keeps reminding you on this road home that soon and very soon you will be home. One day. The gates of paradise will open. You will look in and your wild, childlike heart will want to go running in. And then you'll look back at Jesus because at this point you've been trained a bit and you're gonna be unsure, do I go running in? And he gives you a nod as if to say, go have fun, indulge, eat of the tree of life, drink of the heavenly waters, sit down at the eternal feast and run through the streets of gold, dance in the flowery meadows. And there, the scent of the flower that you smelled from far off, now it is yours to hold. You finally have feet in the country that was once only a rumor. And there, the lame will dance, the mute will sing, and the deaf will hear the song of heaven. And and let me tell you this, the very worst things that have ever happened to you somehow will become untrue and undone. Yet at the same time, it's like those bad things somehow make glory in heaven all the greater. Like cool water on parched lips. And when you set your, oh, listen to this, when you set your eyes upon your friends, the way they will one day be fully transformed in the beautiful version of themselves, if you saw them today, what they will be like, you would be tempted to worship them. And better still, you will see Christ, your savior. Did you know the resurrected Christ when, when he appears after he rises, he has scars on him. His resurrected body has scars. So that means for all of eternity, we will be looking 
at our Savior and we will see the mark of his love for us. Those scars are proof of what he thinks of you. Your God who came and fought for you, died for you, rose for you, and now he has, he has ascended and he is preparing a room for you in his Father's house. Your very own room prepared by the King. What an honor and what a glorious future. That is your story and it's a story worth being told because somehow the impossible has come true. And when the impossible comes true, do you know what you do? You thank him. This is chapter five in your memoir. Tell the world that you're thankful for your savior. Thank him right now even. What's holding you back from doing that? And then that, that thanks will well up into praise, chapter six. Your story and praise. Because praise and telling your story are the same thing. Look at verse nine. It says, for he satisfies the longing soul. In the hungry soul, he fills with good things. In the word for, you, you know, why is it there? Well, we were just talking about being thankful. Why are you thankful for God? Because of what he's done. And then you say it to your friends. Here's what he's done. And so it's a combination of praising God and telling your story. Your soul could be the only quenched soul in all of your neighborhood. Your soul could be the only quenched soul in all of your workplace. Tell others so their soul will be quenched. Your soul is filled with news of a far off country. It's filled with the scent of a flower that they have never touched. The echo of a tune they have never heard. Your friends are under a spell and you can break it with your story. The Bible says how beautiful are the feet of those on the mountains who tell the good news. Your feet in some small way have visited the heavenly country already. Your feet are beautifully worn from the journey because you went up to the top of the mountain and you looked over and on the other side you saw a king. A king who for you came and fought. And from beyond he came to sing over you the song of heaven. And he came with a love that took on the cross in the grave. And inside of death, he heard your cry. So he broke death and hell open to come and get you. And the resurrection is true. And because the resurrection is true, it means that somehow what is in the future is inhabiting the present. We can touch it even. And in this moment right now, your room is being prepared by the king of the city of heaven. He's preparing your room for your arrival, preparing the gates to open. And one day you are gonna run through and you'll be able to lay down in the meadows of heaven, of God's country, and know what it's finally like to be home. That is your story. Tell it. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at Grove Church PSL and check out our website, thegrovechurch.com.
www.ghostbusiness.co.